Friendship isn't the big things, it's a million little things. Hello friends, and welcome to this, A Million Little TV Shows podcast. I'm Mike, and I'll be delving into TV shows that I feel don't seem to get enough love. Over the course of the pod, we'll break down episodes and talk about my thoughts and feelings on the shows. So today, we're going to be back with Inside Number 9. We're going to be talking about Season 1, Episodes 4 to 6. So just to let you all know, I think this is how the format is going to be going forward. That I'm going to have an episode relating to A Million Little Things, but then somewhat of a break episode. So we'll see how things go, but I'm quite happy with how things are going at the minute. But at this present time... I haven't published any episode yet, so I don't know what's going to happen when it actually goes out properly, if anyone listens. So here goes, episode four, Last Gasp. The cast is David Badella, Tamsin Gregg, Sophie Thompson, Lucy Hutchinson, and Adam Deakin. And interestingly, there is no Rishi Smith in this episode. It starts with Graham, Jan, and Tamsin waiting for what seems to be a star coming to their house. Tamsin's seems to be a very sick little girl and they're having a visit from a guy called Frankie Parsons. When he arrives he is flanked by Sally who is a representative of a Wish Foundation that has come to celebrate Tamsin's birthday and Sai, who's his bodyguard. Janet is recording the whole thing but is terrible at controlling the camera. Every time she wants to film something she keeps turning it off but then turns it back on when she doesn't want to film. It's at this point that Frankie's sat on the child's bed, starts blowing up a balloon. At that point, he collapses and dies. There is a massive panic, and Tamsin is left holding the balloon that he was blowing up. After a while, the dad, Graham, realises what Tamsin has in her hand. As well as Sai, the bodyguard, they realise that it's Frankie's last breath and that maybe they could sell it on the internet. So now we see that everyone starts being very protective of this one balloon. Graham claims that he's doing it for his daughter because it's her wish, whereas Sally is claiming that she wants to keep it because it will give so many different children so many wishes. But Jan is basically thinking that they're all fucking (laughs) mental, and she's not wrong. So they go on the internet and start looking at what type of price they could get for this sort of memorabilia. And they find Michael Jackson's glove and Justin Bieber's hair and for all sorts of crazy prices. So they start thinking about the fact that they could sell this. Graham, Cy and Sally all start discussing how the money will be split after Graham has gone to the trouble of trying to find out hypothetically, what someone would pay for it. He's made a few phone calls and has found out the sort of money he could get. So they're talking about it, and initially it's suggested that it should be split into thirds, to which Graham says, well, hang on, no, there's five of us, so surely me, my wife, and Tamsin get a fifth each, and then you two get a fifth. Now, this is the insane thing that money does to people. So Sally then suggests 
well, how about we do it as quarters because eventually your daughter is going to succumb to her illness and you'll end up with three-fifths between you and your wife if we split it five ways. So if you get a quarter each, then it's you and your wife gets half the money and we get the other half, meaning her and Simon. (laughs) Fucking insane. After a minute of madness where Graham is standing on the sofa yelling that he owns the balloon and that if they want the air inside it, they can have it while threatening the balloon with a pair of scissors. Everyone calms down. They give the balloon to Tamsin and she's meant to be the neutral party in all of this. As time goes on, they seem to be getting a little bit better with each other and there's some sort of understanding between them that if they just get through the next few hours they'll be home free eventually they realize that the police are going to be there ambulance crews and press so they try and get the balloon upstairs but as they're doing that tammy holds on to the end of the balloon while her dad's trying to pull it away from her and it stretches and stretches and stretches and the tension just imagining it's going to pop, it's going to pop. But eventually they manage to get it upstairs. Just at that point, Jan turns round and sees that Frankie Parsons isn't dead. His hand is up against the glass pane in the door and he's still clinging on to life. They have to now make a quick decision because everyone's on their way. So they decide to end his life. After a bit of back and forth, it ends up being Cy going in there and puts a pillow over his face and kills him. Once the ambulance arrives, they all go outside and don't notice that Tammy has left. Even though she's wheelchair-bound, she's managed to crawl herself up the stairs into the bedroom and found the balloon. She's also taken another balloon with her, one that's filled with helium. She ties the balloons together, looks out the window at them, and then lets it go. Now this, as episodes go, I tend to think it's one of the weaker ones, but then I watch it as much as I have done and realise that it's not. It's brilliantly made. Um, The cast is not as well known in this case. Um, Tamsin Gregg's been in quite a lot of things. And Sophie Thompson has also been in a lot of things, but mainly on the British circuit. So it's it's not going to be as widely known as the others, but I think for an episode four of a, a season like this, I think it's a very clever episode. And it just shows the morality of people and how once a bit of money gets involved, everything goes out the window. And I mean, that's not all people, but but there are too many out there to actually deny that it would happen. And it's crazy. It's crazy to think that someone could just bottle the last breath of someone to to sell it on an open market. But Tamsin Gregg's character, Sally, just says something that... She has two absolute classic lines in this in this episode. One is where she's talking about the split of the money and she basically says well you know your daughter's gonna die soon so you should only get half b 
because it's not fair that you two could end up with three fifths, knowing that your daughter's going to die soon. Like, such a harsh character. And it's such a turnaround from earlier on where she's like, oh, well, I just want to help the charity. It's like, come on. But then there's another one later on and she's asked what her favourite ever wish was from this wish foundation that she works with. And she says, oh, well, there was this one girl that wanted to be a postwoman and she went out, you know, they got her uniform and they did all this other stuff and it wasn't to meet anyone famous, it was just to be a postwoman. So they let it happen, but because the press weren't going to be that interested, they sent me along. And the guy who was running our operations knew that it wouldn't get much press, but as luck would have it, after she dropped the letter and it hit the mat, she dropped down dead. So at that point, the press were all over it, and they couldn't get enough of that story. And it's just fucking harsh. Like, I come out with some stuff, but Jesus Christ. It's it's dark, dark, dark comedy. and. You just, I know you're meant to expect it, but when it comes to the life of a child, fucking hell, it is crazy. So funny, though. And then the last point I just want to make is about Steve Pemberton. The guy can go from fucking, uh, yeah, so let's just do this, to absolute fucking rage in one foul swoop, and it's amazing. He's such a good actor. Episode 5, The Understudy. The cast includes Lindsay Marshall, Julia Davis, Rosie Cavaliero. So this episode is very loosely based on the play Macbeth by William Shakespeare. And it shows Steve Pemberton's character, Tony, as this sort of very brash, uh, overbearing character. And he he, he cares a lot about the theatre, but doesn't care a lot about people around him. And then we've got his understudy, Jim, played by Rhys Shearsmith, and he's very unassuming, he's he's shy, and he, he doesn't really want to talk much, and he, he's very meek, very mild, and he doesn't seem the type to be in a, a, a Shakespeare play on stage, being bold and brash and loud. But as the understudy, much like Macbeth, we see that Jim has grander visions for himself. He wants to be the lead. He doesn't want to be the understudy anymore. And he has people around him that want to support him in that dream, including Laura. She's very much the Lady Macbeth of this whole thing. And she's pushing him more and more towards this goal to be a better person, to be the to be the man that she knows he can be, to be the man on stage and not just the understudy anymore. We also see that Laura is having an issue with the company manager, Felicity, as she keeps essentially sexually harassing her throughout. From what we know of Tony, he is also a recovering alcoholic, but he keeps asking for his juice, which always seems to be a special juice that only he drinks. And it's while drinking this that he comes off stage and you can tell that he's absolutely pissed. Felicity comes back and she's yelling at him and finds out that it's virtually vodka in this special drink. They call for Jim and Jim's told that 
he's going on stage that night. He's unsure of whether he can do it. And of course, Laura, his Lady Macbeth, comes up and tells him that he's got this. All he needs to do is take it. But Jim keeps seeing visions of blood and blooded hands, much like Macbeth does. Before he can go out on stage, Tony comes out of the shower that Felicity had put him in, and he storms onto the stage, quoting the Shakespeare play as he goes. Laura and Jim get into it, and they're having a go at each other. Laura tells him that she has done everything for him. She also knows that Tony has been drinking vodka, but she wasn't in the room when that was disclosed, and Jim walks out. It seems that Laura and Jim are engaged, and she decides that if he's not man enough to take the opportunity, she doesn't want him, so she takes the ring off. But as she does, there's a commotion on stage. Tony has fallen off the stage and injured himself due to his drunkness. Laura puts the ring back on. So Jim becomes the lead, and it causes tensions between him and Laura, because now that he's the lead, he feels that he doesn't need her. He thanks her for getting him to the position that he's in, but she's just an understudy now, when he's not. We find out that Felicity's been fired for sexual harassment, even though Laura says she never reported it. And we also find out that Tony is having surgery on his spine due to the damage he sustained. It's now a while later, and we see that Jim is a big name now. He's a, he's a star, as everyone said that he would be. He's signing autographs, and when he's asked to meet and greet some disabled people, he gives the excuses that Tony used to give. He's started to adopt a lot of his tropes. But eventually, when they come in, it's actually Tony in the wheelchair. But with him is Kirsty. Kirsty throughout the episode has been shown as just a background character, just flitting about, doing things for people, getting things for people, dressing people, helping people make sure that they're ready to be on stage. She comments on Jim's dressing room, saying how good it looks now that he's a big star and that it's worthy of someone of his stature. He thinks it's because his management company's done it for him, but she reveals that it's more likely to be the mess that Laura made in that shower when she killed herself. Jim's taken aback by this because he didn't know. He'd moved on from their relationship and not spoken to her since. He says it must have been because of the guilt. She was the one who made Tony Abbey's accident, and she was the one who got Felicity fired. Then Kirsty reveals, no, she didn't do that. That was me. I gave him his juice. I told the company that Felicity had sexually harassed me. I did it all for you. So the production of this is so good. It's all set in one room, this dressing room, and it follows along the Macbeth play very, very well. It's split out into acts as well. So it's it just follows the beats of the play really well. And then it's a, it's an absolute sucker punch when you it's revealed that he left Laura behind to go off and do his thing, be the big star that he is. But then because of that, she ended up killing herself, similar to Lady Macbeth. And then they revealed that all the evidence that pointed towards her had nothing to do with her, and it was Kirsty all along. And Kirsty's performance throughout the whole thing was so good, was great, because it's just, you barely notice her. 
she's there, but she's not really there, and she's just sort of flitting around, and, oh, yeah, I've got to do this, I've got to, I've got to make sure this is okay, and I've got to do this. And then the next thing, it's just like, boom, to get him to be the star that he is, and she was all behind it, and that she's basically his biggest fan. But, yeah, it's just a clever episode. And with, you know, studying Macbeth when I was in school, you sort of get it drilled into you in that couple of months that you're studying it. So seeing something as fun as this and a different take on it, and I've seen a few different takes on it over the years, it's just clever, and I enjoyed it so much. Okay, so final episode for this season is going to be episode six. The Harrowing. Now, in this episode, you've got Amy Fionn Edwards, the late Helen McCrory, Poppy Rush, and Sean Buckley. So we start with Katie, who is around 15, 16, dressed in a schoolgirl's outfit, and is going to a house. The house is a little bit eerie from the outside, and she's going in to what looks like a babysitting job. She's on the phone to her friend, Shell, and she's telling her that she's getting £11 an hour and they're going to be out until 2, so that's like £88. So she's excited about the whole thing. All of a sudden, her phone dies. She goes and knocks on the door. Tabitha answers and takes her through into the house. As she takes her in, she asks her if she's got her extra coat, which she tells her she does. She puts it on. It's at this point that she feels the cold of the house. Tabitha has some very creepy quirks to her. For instance, while showing her some artwork that she has on her walls, which all depicts the realms of hell, devils, demons, she reaches out as Katie is looking at one of the drawings and tries to stroke her hair. You feel unsettled immediately by the whole event. Katie's told by Tabitha that she will just be looking after the house. She won't actually have to attend the brother, Andrus, who is disabled. But he does have a little bell, and if he rings it, she must go to him. But he never rings it. It's here where Hector comes in, Tabitha's other brother, and and it seems that him and Tabitha are going to an event. But there seems to be some tension between the two of them. They don't seem to like each other too much. Tabitha and Hector leave and Katie starts to explore a little around the house. As she does, she comes across a cat but as she goes over to it talking to it as most people generally would she goes to pet it and realises that it's a taxidermied cat. A moment later the doorbell rings and she goes to answer it knowing that it's her friend, Shell who she was on the phone to. Shell comes in and she's got a very gothic aesthetic to her and she seems very intrigued by the house and the family and she's amazed by everything that's in there as they go into the room where katie just was the cat starts to bound around the room and katie is in shock because moments earlier it was frozen just as shell had got to the house she was playing around and decided that she wanted to send the motorized chairlift up the stairs and then just after the cat incident Katie decides that she wants to leave, and just as she is about to, the chairlift starts to come back downstairs. She then hears a bell. They follow the noise of the bell and head upstairs. As they walk around, they find Hector's room 
with the bed surrounded by a circle of salt. The bell chimes again, and the girls continue on to find Andres's room. There is netting around the bed, and they go over and find him shackled and tied to the bed, as well as a gag around his mouth. Katie wants to help him, but Shell's a little apprehensive. It seems that there's something wrong with Andres. He has oddly shaped feet, and seems to be speaking in tongues. Just before Katie unties him, Shell points out that if he's been tied up this whole time, how did he ring the bell? It's at that point that another bell rings behind them, and they realise that Tabitha and Hector are still there. They begin to tell the tale of how, how Andres was possessed by Castiel, the mischief demon. While they keep asking, while they keep telling the tale of what happened, Shell keeps asking Katie, ask them how they did the cat. After a moment or two, she says again, ask them how they did the cat. It's then that Tabitha says, Michelle, you should have the pleasure of telling her about that. Michelle says, I did the cat. And Katie realises that her friend was in on it all along. And that she set her up. And that she got her to this house. She's part of this cult that they've got. They strap her to the chair and unleash Andres. The scene ends with this gaunt, horrific figure of a man walking towards this young girl and looming closer and closer until it fades to black. So firstly, I want to say, Helen McCrory, you are missed. What a fantastic actor she is and was. Um, and what a great episode to have her in. She's always had that sort of yeah, weird aesthetic, that gothic aesthetic, very Helena Bonham Carter-esque. She is one of the best to do that sort of role. And seeing her in this, I loved it. Obviously, at the time, when I first watched it, I was like, oh, that's Draco Malfoy's mum. So, seeing her in it, it was a nice memory, and I've just watched it again recently, and with everything that happened, it's really loved it. It's really loved it to see her again. Other than that, I thought the ex- I thought the episode was really good. Again, the first time I watched it, I didn't appreciate it as much as I do now. Um, when I first saw it, I went, oh, it's a bit weird, it's a bit creepy, it's a bit sort of, oh, supernatural, yeah. Like, I think at the time, I just, I was still watching a lot of the TV show Supernatural, which I loved, but I think it died a death after season five. So, it was a bit sort of, uh, yeah, circle around the bed of salt, great, yeah. And now I'm watching it and I'm thinking it's a bit more of a hammer horror. It's a bit more sort of tongue-in-cheek as well. And it's going back to the old League of Gentlemen again. It feels very much like that. Like Tubbs and Edward type of 
vibe from from the siblings. Um, and of course they had a they had a son in the attic as well, but they kept hid away. So, yeah, it it was it was much more enjoyable like the second time or third time round that I watched it. Um, and the ending, the ending is just super freaky. Like the makeup and the wardrobe, not that there was much wardrobe going on, but of this man who, he looked like a, he looked like Gollum if Gollum was a fully grown man. And it's, it's a weird, freaky look on him. And he's got sores all around his mouth and he's got the cloven feet and he's he's hobbling towards this poor girl. And it's yeah, it just gives you the free it just gives you a freaky sensation. But couldn't fault it. Couldn't fault it at all. Um very different from the other five episodes, but I think that all five, ep- all six episodes have been great. They've been so different f- from one to the next, and that's the good thing about these guys. They can write different types of um, scary stories or horror stories or make you think about the way people are in society. Um, very, very clever people. Very clever people. And I do love it. I love it so much. I forgot how good it is. Um, I have been watching the latest season. But going back, I'm like, yeah, they were, they were nailing it from day one. From day one. This is another reason I did this podcast, because I want to talk about this more. They're so clever and so creative, and I love it. And I can't wait to continue more with you on this. Um, As for the next episode, we're going to be going back to A Million Little Things. We're going to be going to possibly Dead Pickles after that. I've posted the list online today of the ones that I'm going to be covering soon. So, go check that out on the socials. And the day that I'm recording this, the first episode came out. So, it's the 8th. It's the 8th of June. So, by the time this actual episode comes out, it'll be around about the end of June. So, still plenty to go at. But yeah, go check it out. Hopefully you're enjoying these things. And uh, hopefully I can keep making them. Thank you. Well, that's all for now, amigos. 
if you managed to make it to the end of my ramblings, thank you. And if you want to rate, share, subscribe, comment, it's all appreciated. Until next time.